Welcome to the Climate Report. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 307. Today's topic is Clean Energy Minneapolis. If you have any comments or questions about this content, please email info at theclimatereport.net. If you would like to join our Facebook group, it is called The Climate Report. Let's read through a few paragraphs of Minneapolis's clean energy plan and go from there. So paragraph eight, this is the third part in a series. So we're on paragraph eight. It says, whereas the cost of wind and solar energy is rapidly falling and a number of alternative approaches like community solar are making renewable electricity easier to access, and whereas for purposes of this resolution, renewable electricity includes electricity derived from wind, solar, geothermal, wave technology sources, and may include low impact, small hydro, and some forms of biomass, after these projects are evaluated for sustainability and environmental justice implications, but clean and renewable energy specifically excludes electricity derived from fossil fuels, nuclear, incineration of non-biogenic municipal and medical waste, and large-scale hydroelectric development, and whereas the renewable energy economy presents opportunities for workers in manufacturing, construction, and service sectors, and is essential that workers play a role in helping drive innovation towards a cleaner economy while creating and maintaining family-sustaining jobs. And whereas this energy transition is an opportunity to build equity for communities of color and indigenous communities that have been underrepresented in the energy field and marketplace, and the city of Minneapolis is committed to making, this, making the most of this opportunity. And whereas the financial and environmental benefits of renewable energy must be shared equitably across all economic and racial groups, and whereas the city of Minneapolis is committed to ensuring that all residents and businesses, no matter their race, income, wealth, or credit history, can access and benefit from renewable energy and energy efficiency through processes such as community solar and inclusive financing, so let's go back up to the top. Paragraph eight says, whereas the cost of wind and solar energy is rapidly falling and a number of alternative approaches like community solar are making renewable electricity easier to access. So when it uses the word cost, I'm skeptical because cost never includes the true cost. In our economic system, in our accounting system, the cost of a hamburger never includes the true cost of a hamburger. The cost of a car never includes the true cost of a car. The cost of a pipeline never includes the true cost of a pipeline. So we need to be looking at the true cost of wind and solar energy. And that's, you know, it's not simple, it's not easy, but if we're gonna talk intelligently about the cost of these things, then let's talk about the true cost. If you wanna know the true cost of solar energy and wind energy and the battery storage that goes along with them, then you need to look at the cost of the United States and the CIA and people like Elon Musk meddling in the affairs of Bolivia, which has much of the world's lithium. 
So what they're doing is, you know, the lithium occurs in salt flats. There are about three countries in South America that have possibly half of the world's lithium. So you go in there and you suck the water out of the salt flats and then you put the water on the surface of the ground and then it evaporates and then you put it through this chemical process where you can then have the lithium in usable form so that it can be transported and further processed. And this process of sucking the water out of the ground is ruining some of the lands of indigenous people in Bolivia. So the true cost of lithium, if you're not including that, then you haven't talked yet about the true cost of wind and solar energy because lithium is used to make lithium ion batteries, which, uh, you know, if you do wind and solar energy, wind is, the wind doesn't always blow, the sun doesn't always shine. This is called intermittency. Everybody knows that inter intermittency is a problem. So they say, oh, we'll just, we'll just have batteries, but what's the cost of those batteries? What's the true cost of those batteries? I don't pretend to have the answers, but we have to ask these questions, otherwise we're blowing smoke. And what's relevant to our communities that are adopting these clean energy plans, if we're dealing with people, if we're dealing with industrialists and tech giants and Wall Street firms that are willing to go to other countries and essentially make slaves of people or drive people off of their lands, then we're not dealing with people or institutions that have other people that have our best interest in mind. Because if they don't have the best interest of, you know, Congolese children in Africa, if they're willing to make slaves out of children in Africa, because, you know, in the People's Republic of Congo, there's a big Chinese company that goes in and buys up half of the world's cobalt. We know that this cobalt is mined by uh, slave labor in People's Republic of Congo. We know that these materials end up in our laptops, our cell phones, so basically what you have is CEOs of these companies uh, are willing to turn their heads the other way while they know that the materials needed in these devices. So I'm just saying that cities like Minneapolis and cities like Louisville and cities like Des Moines, Iowa that I have reviewed on previous episodes, they're talking about clean and renewable energy without regard to the true financial cost and without regard to the true human cost. Plus you have Biden's climate plan that talks all talks like, you know, technology and innovation and unmatched American, you know, American ingenuity. And if you read between the lines, what you find is that is that these government entities, local and federal and state, as well as companies that want to sell us devices are throwing around these terms like clean and renewable energy, but they're not telling us the whole story. They probably don't even know the whole story themselves. They're just repeating what they've heard. So we're here to clear up some of that. Paragraph nine, whereas for purposes of this resolution, renewable electricity includes electricity derived from wind, solar, geothermal, and wave technology sources, and may include low impact, small hydro, and some forms of biomass after these projects are evaluated for sustainability and environmental justice implications. So one thing that bothers me about all this is that it is, it is sufficiently complex to remain obscure to the average citizen. 
So what citizens have the time to understand what's going on here? And, uh, for example, it says here that this it says renewable electricity includes some forms of biomass after these projects are evaluated for sustainability and environmental justice implications. So biomass means different things, but usually it means chewing up trees, turning them into wood chips, shipping the wood chips to a plant where the wood chips get burned. Typically the wood chips get burned with other materials because if you have wood chips and you don't let them dry out, then they're not, you know, dry wood chips can be burned, but wet wood chips are hard to burn. So you have to put things like old tires in with them so that they'll burn hot enough. So, and the, you know, you have trucks that ship wood chips from the forest that just got chewed up to the plant where the wood chips are burned. It takes trucks to haul these wood chips from the forest that got chewed up to the plant where the wood chips are going to be burned. So this is anything but clean and renewable and is any, it is anything but fossil fuel free. And yet this kind of thing gets passed off as renewable electricity. So what they're saying here is we're going to evaluate these projects for sustainability, but who is doing this evaluating? How far removed is that from the average citizen? So here's what I say. Let's have real, genuine democracy. Let's give average citizens the right to veto things, but we're not just going to give them the right to veto projects related to clean and renewable energy. We're also going to give them the right to veto roads and pipelines and new restaurants. If they say, look, we've looked at this and we have decided that these projects are bad for our community and bad for the world. We, the people of Minneapolis or we, the people of Louisville have studied this and we have made a determination that this project is that, 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 that this company that wants to sell us this process or this product or this energy is not an ethical company. So what I'm talking about is a level of democracy that we have never seen. We have never seen democracy like this because if you want to be truly democratic, you have to give the people power. And if you're going to give the people power, it has to include the power to say no. True democracy is when you have a right to vote on that which affects you. And yet there's all kinds of development and commerce and business going on in our community. And nobody asks us whether we want that. There's this patina of democracy. There's these illusions of democracy where you have these political parties talking about each other. You have talk show hosts that are criticizing this or that politician. But at the end of the day, the average person does not have the right or the power to say no to all these things that are happening in our midst. 
Therefore, we don't have true democracy because we don't really have the power to say no or yes to the things that affect us. Next paragraph says we're going to exclude electricity derived from fossil fuels, nuclear, incineration of non-biogenic municipal and medical waste, and large-scale future hydroelectric development. Okay, so it says we're going to exclude electricity derived from fossil fuels, but does it not take fossil fuels to make a solar panel? Does it not take fossil fuels to make a windmill? Does it not take fossil fuels to do the mining that is needed for the uh, metals and the other materials that go into all the technology that they're requiring for all this stuff? Does it not take fossil fuels to produce the concrete that is needed for these projects? And somebody might say, well, Hart, you know, these things take less fossil fuels than they would if you just burned it in a, if you just dug coal out of the ground and burned it, or if you dig gas out of the ground and burn it. And I have two things to say about that. How do we know that these projects will result in less burning of fossil fuels? Who is making those determinations? Where is the data? Where is the proof? And I'm not saying we need perfect proof before we move forward, but I'm saying if you want to reduce fossil fuels, then reduce fossil fuels. But don't assume that just because it's called clean and renewable energy, that it is somehow going to reduce the usage of fossil fuels because labels don't mean very much and labels don't go very far. If you're going to reduce fossil fuels, you have to look at the supply chain that produces the products, including products and equipment that is supposedly under the heading of clean and renewable energy. If you're going to reduce fossil fuels, but you don't address our food system, then you're, you haven't addressed fossil fuels because our, our food system in an infinite variety of ways requires fossil fuels to deliver the food to us. For one thing, much of our food is uh, grown using fertilizers that are made from petroleum. It takes about 10 or 15 calories of petroleum to make one calorie of food. If we keep producing our food using petroleum, then it doesn't matter how many solar panels we have, how many windmills we have, or how many electric cars we drive. The average bite of food travels 1,500 miles before it reaches our plate. As long as that is the case, it doesn't matter how many solar panels we have. So my concern with clean and renewable energy is that it seems to be so much smoke and mirrors fooling people into thinking we're reducing fossil fuels when in fact we're not. I have information here from a researcher by the name of Richard York. I'll happily send it to you if you email me at info at the climate And it indicates that 
just because you have just because you get energy from non-fossil fuel sources doesn't mean you're reducing the usage of fossil fuels i mean add a unit of solar energy does not mean you decrease fossil fuel usage by one unit maybe you reduce usage by a fourth of a unit or a tenth of a unit but it seems like these clean and renewable energy plans carry with them the implied promise that if we put clean and renewable energy, so-called clean and renewable energy into the grid, that it's going to result in a reduction of fossil fuels. That's a strong and critical implication and assumption. If, if that's not true, it, you know, is it true that if we use more energy with solar and wind that it's going to reduce the usage of fossil fuels? If the answer is no, then maybe, just maybe, we need to stop and think about how we're going about this. Because here's what we're not signing up for. We're not signing up for a situation where we get years down the road, we've spent lots and lots of money. Let's say it's 2030, and we've spent lots and lots of money on so-called clean and renewable energy, and we're worse off than we were before. We're worse off than we were before in terms of our usage of fossil fuels. We're worse off than we were before in terms of all the side effects, all the water pollution uh, all, uh, that occurs, all the water pollution, air pollution, slave labor uh, that occurs under business as usual. So I'm just saying, let's look at the assumptions and let's look at who we're trusting. Let's look at what they're saying. Let's look at what they're not saying. They're not saying in these clean and renewable energy plans, they're not saying we are going to reduce our total energy consumption by half. I think you need to do that. I think we need to look at total consumption of energy and we need to reduce our total consumption of energy by about half. And if we're not reducing our total consumption of energy, then we're not reducing our fossil fuels either because fossil fuels are the elephant in the room uh, behind solar energy and wind energy. If you think I'm wrong, then let's talk. I'll look at whatever research you have, but what I find is that most people are not looking into this even you know the well-intentioned people that are promoting clean and renewable energy, they're not looking at the hidden assumptions behind all this. And I'm not saying that plans need to be perfect before we're, we move forward, but we need to have fundamental basic goals. And do we have your fundamental basic goals or do we just have a lot of lip service? Besides goals, we need strategies. A strategy is like, here's, what, here's the major thing we're going to do first, and then here's the major thing we're going to do next, and here's why we're doing this first and this next. For example, I think it's a major mistake to focus on wind power and solar panel and electric cars first. There may be a place for that, but I don't think it comes first. In the next episode, we'll talk more about what should come first. Like, you know, we need to revolutionize our food system. We need to revolutionize farming. We need to revolutionize our zoning and how we decide yay or nay to major 
retail operations like Home Depot and McDonald's and Starbucks and Walmart. We need to revolutionize defense. How in the world do we expect to reduce fossil fuels when we're spending $750 billion a year on defense? We need to revolutionize our political parties because as it is, both parties are bought by fossil fuel interests. How can we expect to reduce our fossil fuels when we're giving our unquestioned obedience and loyalty to two political parties that are both bought by the oil companies, the coal companies, the gas companies, and the solar companies and wind companies, and the electric car companies? How do we expect to make any progress to speak of when our politicians are bought by the people that want to make money and do not have our best interests in mind. So next episode we'll talk about if you claim to re favor reducing fossil fuels but you don't deal with our food system, then you're not going to reduce fossil fuels. If you claim to be in favor of reducing fossil fuels but you're not dealing with the problems in our transportation system, then you're not going to reduce fossil fuels. You can say the same thing about manufacturing of cars, planes, and heavy equipment. You can say the same thing about construction of roads, buildings, and pipelines. You can say the same thing about fossil fuel operations such as fracking, drilling, mining, and petrochemical plants. If you're not dealing with these things head-on as a city, as a city, if your city is not dealing with these things head-on, then your city is not going to reduce fossil fuels. If you don't, if as a city, you're not dealing with defense, because yeah, that's the federal government, can't control them. You can be speaking out against, the, against this out of control military industrial complex. You can pass a resolution that says, we, the city of Minneapolis or Louisville or Des Moines, we do not go along with this out of control military industrial complex, and we want to do our part in reducing the fossil fuels attributable to the military-industrial complex and the Pentagon. If you don't deal with globalization, then you can't claim as a city to be seriously addressing the problems with fossil fuels or the reduction of fossil fuels. If, as a city, you are not dealing with supply chains such as the supply chains that make our phones, the supply chains that make our laptops or our cars or, the, or our weapons. If you're not dealing with those supply chains, then you're not going to uh, have a serious impact on fossil fuels. You could say as a city that, you know, we're not going to mow very much anymore because mowing uh, requires a lot of fossil fuels and it removes habitat. We're going to mow here and there where it's needed to look nice, but we're not going to buy a ton of mowers just to keep people busy. You could say, as a city, to the extent that we buy solar panels, we're going to look at the supply chain, and we're not going to buy solar panels that are made from a supply chain that includes slave labor. And we're not going to buy solar panels that are made from a supply chain that has included a CIA coup against Bolivia or whatever other country is involved in making, in, in, where we get lithium and other metals that go in to the solar panels, the windmills, the electric cars, 
the Tesla batteries. Let's read another paragraph of Minneapolis's Clean and Renewable Energy Plan. Whereas the renewable energy economy presents opportunities for workers in manufacturing, construction, and service sectors, and it is essential that workers play a role in helping drive innovation towards a cleaner energy economy while creating and maintaining family-sustaining jobs, so here's the problem with this. We need to drastically and dramatically reduce the amount of manufacturing we do. We have, for the last 200 years, had an economy that is driven by production. We need to shift the focus from production to care. We need to care for our people. We need to care for our forests and our waterways. We need to care for the vital systems that we have, such as health care and education. We need to disabuse ourselves of the notion that we will be saved by manufacturing, or that even manufacturing, yes, we're going to do some manufacturing, but I say reduce it by 90%. All this manufacturing of new cars, new planes, new helicopters, it is absolutely not the way to a clean and sustainable and ecological future. We need to look at the carbon footprint attributable to manufacturing. We need to look at the ecological impact of manufacturing. For one thing, manufacturing requires a building. A building requires concrete. If concrete were a country, it would be the third biggest producer of carbon in the world. Why are we still producing all of this concrete. I can guarantee you it's not because we are caring for our people or our forests or our vital uh, systems such as health care and education and transportation and communication. We are producing all of this concrete because somebody somewhere is making a profit. Profit can no longer be the defining principle or the driving force in our economy. Profit needs to be demoted from the number one thing to about the number 10 thing. So what I hear people say, and Jane Fonda was talking like this the other day, we can provide so many jobs in clean energy. And what she's talking about is manufacturing solar panels, manufacturing windmills, manufacturing electric cars, manufacturing the robots that are needed to make all of these items. But all of that manufacturing requires fossil fuels. All of that manufacturing requires technology, electronics technology that has metals. The metals have to be mined somewhere. Many of our metals are mined with slave labor, or they're mined by workers that do not work in safe living conditions, or safe working conditions. Plus, a lot of this is phrased in terms of trickle-down. We're going to do all this manufacturing so that we create jobs, as if doing something creates the job. How about if we create jobs? You know, we need a jobs guarantee, but that's another conversation got another minute or two left, let me leave you with something to think about. So if we're going to reduce fossil fuels, then let's reduce fossil fuels. Let's look at the things that are consuming fossil fuels and reduce those activities.
we can absolutely reduce the consumption of fossil fuels without a serious compromise to our well-being. Some people are, have to going, are going to have to give up some opulence, but most people are going to experience more freedom. Do you want half of your time back? I'll give you half of your time back, but come with me while we create a world where the oligarchs at the top, the 1%, is not sucking all of our time, sucking all of our money, money sucking all of our energy, sucking all of our health. Do you want half of your money back? Same thing. We need to construct a world where the 1% is not sucking our time, money, energy, and health. That's all the time we have. Thank you for joining me. Come back soon. Welcome to the Climate Report. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 308. Today's topic is Clean Energy Minneapolis, and this is the fourth of four episodes. If you would like the other three episodes, then please email info at theclimatereport.net. And if you have any comments, questions, or feedback about any of this content, please email me at info at theclimatereport.net. If you would like to join the conversation, then please uh, go to Facebook and join the group called The Climate Report. If you have trouble, any trouble finding it, then email info at theclimatereport.net and I'll send you a link. So we're going to be looking at Minneapolis's clean energy plan in just a minute, but first I want to share with you that I believe that we, what is possible is for us to create a whole new world. You know, the world is in seriously bad shape, and if we don't turn around, then there could be a mass die-off of human beings within this century, easily. I don't think the human race is going to go extinct, but it could happen, and if it doesn't, we're still dealing with a, a world that is very ugly, uh, very violent, and increasingly so. And I don't pretend to know how this is going to turn out, but I do not only believe, but know that we have an opportunity to create a whole new world. We have an opportunity to create a world that has true freedom, not fake freedom. We have an opportunity to create a world that has true democracy, not fake democracy, such as what we have now. So here's a lie and an illusion that the fossil fuel companies and the commercial interests have uh, imprinted upon our brains and upon our culture. They've imprinted on our brains and on our culture the illusion that says that changing to an ecologically sustainable world requires sacrifice and that we probably won't be able to do it. They also want us to think that we're in this fix because of human nature. We are not in this fix because of human nature we are in this fix because of the nature of our political economic system and the nature of the people at the top who are in charge. In our culture and in our world, 
power is money. We know that we have increasing amounts of money and therefore power being concentrated into the hands of a very, very few. And they want us to believe in trickle down, but it's not trickling down, it's trickling up. Over the course of time, power and money has continued to be absorbed from the poor and middle class and absorbed by the upper classes. So if you have more and more money being concentrated into the 1%, then that means you have more and more power being concentrated into the 1%. And the 1% is doing what is perfectly normal and perfectly natural. They are looking out for their own material interests. They are seeking to aggrandize or increase their own material interest. It is the most normal and natural thing in the world to seek to, to, to increase and augment your material interests, and that is exactly what is going on. So what has resulted from this is that the people in top are on charge. The people, people on top are in charge. They have lots of money, not because they have earned it, but because they have extracted it from labor, from nature, from our democratic institutions, and from consumers. And that's another conversation, but let's just say that there's good money in exploiting the resources of other countries. And there's good money in exploiting the labor and in driving wages down and in keeping benefits at a minimum. There's good money in that. And that's how Wall Street has so much money and so much power. But I'm saying I can show you how to get half your money back and half your time back. We have to do it collectively. We have to do it democratically but you're being robbed of half your time and half your money. You're working hard because power and money is being hoarded by a very few. For example, the average American pays $3,000, $4,000, or $5,000 per year on defense. And we have this never-ending war. It's not defense, it's offense. We don't have 800 military bases around the world because our shores are being defended. We have 800 military bases around the world because a few people have figured out how to make a lot of money off of the government by uh, promoting perpetual war. So I'd like to give you back three or $4,000 per year, but we have to do that collectively. I would like to give you back seven or $8,000 per year, up to maybe $10,000 per year, because that's what people on average spend on their cars. We have a transportation system that is almost solely devoted to cars because that's what the government spends the money on at a ratio of about 100 to one. Highways, highways, building the highways. When are we going to build another highway? When are we going to add another lane? Highways cost several million dollars per lane mile. If you have a four, five, six, seven, eight lane highway, then adding a lane to that highway, then the highway, a six, seven, or eight lane highway, costs you know, 10, 20 million dollars per mile. 
And so we pay our taxes for that. And then the result of that, according to AAA, American Automobile Association, we spend about eight or $9,000 per year per car on average. And we wouldn't need cars. Most of us wouldn't need cars or we would need fewer cars if the government wasn't always spending transportation dollars exclusively on highways, at least, uh, you know, 90 plus percent of our transportation dollars are spent on highways, cars and trucks, vis-a-vis trains, buses, bike paths, etc. So if you're an average American, I just showed you how we can get $13,000 a year back and we're just getting started. So what I'm saying is I can show you how we can get a whole new world. We can get half of our time back. We can get half of our money back. We can get freedom to do what we want to do. We can have true democracy, not fake democracy. We can have true justice, not fake justice. And we can have justice, freedom, and democracy, not only for ourselves, but for people around the world. But we have to understand how power works. We have to understand where our money is going and where our time is going. We have to understand who is designing our system such as it is so that we can make changes. Now, let's look at Minneapolis's clean and renewable energy plan. And you will find as we get into this that I think clean and renewable energy is kind of, I'm really suspicious, I'm really skeptical. If we want to reduce fossil fuels, then let's reduce fossil fuels. But let's not add layers to our energy system in the hopes that someday, somehow, just maybe, that that will reduce, that that will result in a reduction of fossil fuels. So Minneapolis's clean energy plan says, whereas the renewable energy economy presents opportunities for workers in manufacturing, construction, and service sectors, and it is essential that workers play a role in helping drive innovation towards cleaner energy economy while creating and maintaining family-sustaining jobs. Okay, this is all trickle-down. It's like, let's subsidize these businesses. The businesses will supposedly create jobs and then people can have good jobs as a result of subsidizing corporations. How about let's not? How about let's have a jobs guarantee? How about let's give people jobs to work in the public sector because we need to de-emphasize production and manufacturing, and we need to emphasize care. We need to care for our forests and our waterways and our pollinators. We need to care for our people, including the elderly, the disabled, children, students. And we need to care for those vital systems, such as, you know, transportation and education and health care. And we need to completely revolutionize defense. In other words, get rid of 90% of it. And we need to revolutionize agriculture. In other words, we need to stop growing corn for ethanol with fertilizer made from petroleum. It is absolutely insane that ethanol should be considered a renewable energy when it takes lots and lots and lots of fossil fuels 
to produce a gallon of ethanol. Plus, the corn that is used to make ethanol is grown with fossil fuel, uh, with petroleum-based fertilizers. It's grown with insecticides that are neurotoxins. It's grown in uh, fields of corn that are tilled every year. The tilling causes erosion. The erosion causes the topsoil to wash into the waterways. The waterways get polluted with topsoil and with all of this, all of these uh, insecticides and petroleum-based fertilizers and nitrous oxide. And our agricultural system is just a mess. So there's lots of opportunity for us to, you know, create jobs where people are actually paid to be farmers. We need for our farmers to not be under all of the economic stresses and pressures that they are under because we have succeeded in driving almost all of the farmers out of business since my grandfather was a farmer starting in the early 1900s. Almost all of our farmers have been driven out of business because they're saying get big or get out. But what we need to do is yes, farming can be a business, but instead of focusing on production, we need to focus on care of our farmland, care of our farmers. And if you want me to talk to you about the specifics, then email info at theclimatereport.net. And I will even take that and turn it into a topic for a future episode. But I've done episodes on regenerative farming, etc. So email me if you want more details on that. Now, it says... Uh, here in Minneapolis's Clean Energy Plan says, whereas this energy transition is an opportunity to build equity for communities of color and indigenous communities that have been underrepresented in the energy field and marketplace, and the city of Minneapolis is committed to making the most of this opportunity. So what they're talking about here is, is inclusion and justice and repairing some of the damage that has been done to indigenous communities and people of color. And I'm saying that this is mainly lip service. If we care about people of color and indigenous communities and poor people of, uh, of all ethnicities, then we'll give them Medicare for all. Medicare for all would be cheaper than the system that we have now. And, and I know this is a city, the city of Minneapolis. It can't give people Medicare for all in theory, but I'm saying what they're doing is giving lip service to uh, creating justice and addressing injustices, but they're not putting in place any of the programs that would actually help people of color, and indigenous communities. If you want to help indigenous communities, then stop building pipelines through their uh, territorial lands. If you want to help people of color, then stop uh, making everybody drive a car. Stop putting polluting factories in their neighborhoods. Adequately fund public schools. But there's a lot that we can do to actually help people. 
And it has nothing to do with giving lip service to justice in a clean and renewable energy plan. If you want to help indigenous people and people of color, then let's have meaningful programs where people can grow food in their neighborhoods and have strong local businesses because our community is not dominated by Wall Street corporations. I live in a relatively poor neighborhood in Louisville. And, you know, there are not very many small businesses here. There are not very many gardens. But there's a McDonald's and there's a Taco Bell. So you have these businesses that are allowed to locate here. They're allowed to suck money out of this neighborhood. But what we don't have are meaningful. Yeah, there are good people in our community that work for local agriculture. There's the Urban Agriculture Commission. There's the Food and Neighborhoods Network. There's a, a black market, which is new. There's the Food Literacy Project. There is Louisville Grows. These are all really good organizations of people that are working hard to make a difference. But if the government wanted to do something, there's a lot that can be done, including give people access to city-owned land. Let farmers grow on land that has been abandoned. And the city's just holding it for a time when maybe it'll be developed for commercial or residential use, and they want those tax revenues to go up. Well, if we want tax revenues to go up, there's a way to do that, and that is institute progressive taxation in your property tax, progressive taxation in your like insurance taxes, progressive taxation. You know, if you, if we had progressive taxation on property taxes, then the big players, the big out of town absentee landlords and absentee investors would have to pay their fair share of what they take from our community. So I've been reading through this clean and renewable energy plan for Minneapolis, and I'm saying that it's mostly just lip service. It's mostly just adding a layer of industrial uh, processes, adding a layer of mining onto what we already have, adding a layer of manufacturing onto what we already have, adding a layer of electronics onto what we already have, adding a layer of bureaucracy onto what we already have, uh, you know, more subsidies, to corporations, hoping that those subsidies will trickle down in the form of jobs, hoping those subsidies will result in the sale of solar energy, the sale of wind energy, the sale of electric cars, the sale of electricity generated from biomass, God help us. And I'm saying you can do all of this while not reducing fossil fuels. I thought the point was to reduce fossil fuels. So I'm saying if you pretend to be reducing fossil fuels, but you're not addressing, number one, our food system, then you're not serious about reducing fossil fuels and you're not going to be successful. Our food system, such as it is, is a disaster because it is not organized in a way to deliver healthy food to people who need it, nor is it organized in a way as to give employment and viable businesses to small farms, small retailers, 
farmers markets, etc. Plus, whether it's food or cars or anything else, we need to look at the supply chain. If it's a car, most of the pollution and most of the carbon occurs before a brand new car is sold. If it's a bite of food, most of the carbon and most of most of the carbon footprint, most of the ecological impact occurs before that food comes in crosses the border into our county. If we still have a food system that is based on uh, that where they use fertilizers made from petroleum, then we're not serious about reducing fossil fuels and we won't be successful. If we still have a food system where the average bite of food travels 1500 miles before it reaches our plates, we are not, we're not serious about uh, reducing fossil fuels and we won't be successful at that. If we continue to have a food system where most people eat meat, which is fine, but, but when the meat comes from concentrated animal food feeding operations, which are not fine, if most of the, the meat comes from concentrated animal feeding operations, then we are, and we're not addressing that in our plan for clean and renewable energy, then we are not serious about reducing fossil fuels and we will not be successful. Number two, these clean and renewable energy plans they have a lot of verbiage, but they don't say much. They say something, but not much about our transportation system. We have a transportation system where everybody needs a car just to survive. And if you don't have a car, it takes a great deal of time, trouble, effort, and energy to get from one place to another. That's why most people have cars. It's easier to have a car than not have a car. So if we don't address that, then we will not, then we're not serious about reducing fossil fuels and we won't be successful. These clean and renewable energy plans typically have plans for charging stations for electric cars, but that's just perpetuating the same old, same old system where everybody needs a car in order to get around. If we have, if our proposals involve replacing electric, replacing internal combustion cars with electric cars, then we're simply not serious about reducing fossil fuels and we will not be successful. If we continue to have a transportation system where federal and state transportation dollars are spent overwhelmingly on building more highways to accommodate more and more and more cars and trucks, and almost none of our transportation dollars, relatively speaking in the scale of things, almost none of our transportation dollars involve any serious spending on surface mass transit. For that matter, why do we have a system in which people have to commute to get to a job that they don't like? Two-thirds or three-fourths of people have to go to a job that they don't like. We could have a jobs program that, where instead of people working for the worst companies in the world just to survive, by the worst companies in the world I mean two-thirds of Wall Street, 
But if we still have a system where people have to go to work for the most polluting, carbon-intensive companies, like fast food and like most of retail, like Amazon, UPS, FedEx, these are extremely polluting, carbon-intensive industries, but people have to go to these, go work for these companies just to survive. We need a jobs program that gives people living wages and generous benefits to work in the public sector because we need to be serious about caring and we need to stop all the production because production, it, it, production means exploiting nature. Production means deforestation. Production means mining. Production means lots and lots of transportation, trucks going over the ground. So we need a jobs guarantee so that people can work closer to home if they want to, and people can work caring in, the, in a caring job in the public sphere. We need to care for our forests. We need to care for our waterways. We need to care for our people, the young, the old, the sick, the disabled, and students, and veterans. We need to care for our people. And if people want to have a $33,000 a year job with benefits, caring for somebody, or caring for our forests and waterways, or caring for our small local farms that grow healthy, tasty, nutritious, local food, then people should have that choice and we should pay for that instead of paying for subsidies for fossil fuels, instead of paying $750 billion a year on defense that does not defend us, it only makes the world more dangerous. So we've talked about food and we've talked about transportation. And let's talk about manufacturing. If we, do, if we have, if we're trying to reduce fossil fuels, but we don't uh, deal with the fossil fuel usage attributable to manufacturing, then we're not going to succeed in reducing fossil fuels. We're in the United States, we're manufacturing 17 million new cars every year. What that means is cheap new cars so that people are inclined to get new cars rather than fixing the cars that they have. We could stop manufacturing new cars right now with notable exceptions like you know ambulances and fire trucks. We, but we could stop manufacturing new cars now and still have plenty to last us until the end of time. We also need to stop manufacturing new planes because it takes a lot of carbon and it generates a lot of pollution. We have all the planes that we're going to need till the end of time if we expect to survive. We need to stop manufacturing new helicopters, except for those helicopters used as an ambulance or some vital function like that. But helicopters are manufactured in a process that is carbon intensive and produces a lot of pollution. We need to stop 
and I mean stop the manufacturing of heavy equipment. Heavy equipment is used for construction. We need to stop the construction of new roads, new pipelines, new buildings. We have what we need with notable exceptions. You know, we need to reduce construction by 90%. Reduce construction by 90%. Reduce new roads by 90%. Reduce new pipelines by 90%. Reduce new cars by 90%. Reduce new planes by 90%. Reduce new helicopters by 90%. Reduce heavy equipment by 90%. Because all the things I just named, they are not manufactured for the well-being of people. They are manufactured for profit. I've got about a minute left. Let me leave you with something to think about. You know, we have serious issues to solve. We have climate change as a serious problem to be solved. The sixth great extinction is a serious problem to be solved. And the people who are in charge are not nearly nervous enough. The people in charge do not have your best interests or mine in mind. The people in charge are not to be trusted. The people in charge are not to be worshipped. The people in charge are not even to be respected because they don't respect us. They don't respect our planet. They don't respect our natural world. They might be good people in their personal lives, but they go to work as CEO of this or that company that is destroying the planet, enslaving people, deforesting our, our forests, ruining our vital systems, polluting our water. All this needs to change. That's all the time we have. Thank you for joining me. Have a great day.